Welcome to the History of the Americans podcast, episode 25. I'm your host, Jack Henneman, and I'm recording this episode again really early in the morning on June 9th, 2021 in Austin, Texas. There's a lot of construction around our house, and it makes it impossible to get a clean recording, so I've been getting up super early in the morning to do this before the men start showing up and grinding steel and running big machines up and down our street. So anyway, that's why I do this early in the morning. I, I'm defensive about it because I got a, a note that it sounded like I'd had a couple of drinks before one of the episodes a couple of weeks back, and it was exactly the opposite. Uh, it was about five in the morning, and I'm trying to uh, uh, get my voice limbered up before I get on and do this from now on. So anyway, that's what's going on there. This episode is a sidebar, by which we mean a thematic episode off our timeline. I'm in a busy stretch of paying work, the old struggle for the legal tender in the immortal words of Jackson Brown. And the sidebar episodes are much faster to pull together, so I'm going to use this one to take stock, as it were. The history of the Americans is a labor of love and an entirely do-it-oneself endeavor. So positive feedback is, in fact, very motivating. Thank you all for listening and your reviews online and your supportive emails. The volume of listeners has grown considerably faster than I had imagined and even hoped in that there have been well over 17,000 downloads and listens since I sent around a first email to my friends in early February. Considering how scruffy the website is, pretty good. Also motivating that I'm actually going to spend some coin on making the website look at least semi-pro. Maybe I'll even sell cool items like Cabeza de Vaca pint glasses. I sort of wanted to make one myself, and I thought, hey, maybe there would be fans out there. Now I explain what I hope to do in the short introductory episode zero, which I posted on January 1st, 2021. Listening to it again six months after I wrote it, I still agree with it, but I do think it sounds pompous. Sorry about that. Live and learn. If I were to do that episode all over again, I would go on a bit less about freighted matters of historiography and a bit more about how important it is to have fun with history. That is, in fact, what I am doing. I'm following my muse here, and you guys are along for the ride. I still believe we need a national story that we can be proud of, even if not without context or qualification. And I still object to presentism, and above all, to the weaponization of history in the service of partisan narrative. But mostly, I want my listeners to think, that's so cool. When I tell them something novel and interesting, that, by the way, I probably only just learned myself. A few people have asked how I came up with the idea of doing a podcast on the history of the Americans. Well, I had long had it in mind that I should read American history in detail all the way through. It might be a good project. I had read a fair amount, bouncing around as people do over the last, you know, 50 years or something. But like most of us who are not professional historians, I'd never really stitched together a coherent American story in my own mind. Being sort of retired from demanding day jobs, I'd been looking around for a project and thought that reading American history from beginning to end might be a good one. Then in September and October last year, I went on a 
mid-pandemic drive about covering four and a half thousand miles between Austin and the Adirondacks with a lot of stops in between over about three weeks. A law school roommate turned me on to David Crowther's History of England podcast, which I quite like. And I thought, hey, I could do that. And also, it would keep me on my personal reading project. I dug around, and it did not seem that anybody was doing something similar for our history. Yes, there are a lot of American history podcasts, but I haven't found one that tells the history of the Americans in the sort of detailed chronological order that we do here, or that Mr. Crowther does with English history. Anyway, I got back from my road trip and started figuring out how to do a podcast. A lot of podcasters, especially those able to invest in their hobby, throw money at the technical stuff, hiring editors and website designers and all of that. I wanted to figure out all of that, at least on a basic level, and do it myself, because that part's kind of fun for me. And as anybody who's actually looked at the historyoftheamericans.com knows... I barely got my chin above the bar, at least with respect to the website, and the first few episodes don't sound that great either. The big task is the research and writing part. I immediately fell into the trap of a lot of people who learned American history in the northern United States back in the day, as we say. I read two books on both Jamestown and Plymouth right off the bat in October. Then I started reading a book on King Philip's War in Massachusetts in 1675, still 130 years ahead of 1543, which is the latest date on our chronology so far. A footnote in the book on King Philip's War led me to a book about the Pueblo Revolt of 1680 in the American Southwest, and a footnote in that book led me to the story of Cabeza de Vaca, which I had not known and a reference to Coronado's expedition, which I'd only vaguely heard of. Whoa. It sounds a bit dumb to write it, but I had to follow that trail of footnote crumbs before I truly realized in my gut that the Anglo-centric view of American history was only part of the national story. I mean, if I'd been pressed, I would have known that as an intellectual matter. And if I'd been a younger person, I would have learned it in school, But the fact is, my first reading for this project was two books on Jamestown. The history of English North America is an important part of the history of the Americans, and it may yet be the most important part, but one misses a lot if one dives deeply into Jamestown without also looking at the history of, say, St. Augustine, which we're about to get to. And in fact, the public schools around the country have long taught American history with big regional differences. Everybody who spent the seventh grade in Texas and paid only a little attention has heard the name Cabeza de Vaca, but I and my friends did not hear of him growing up in Iowa City or even taking AP American History at a swanky Northeastern boarding school in 1977. And of course, no history of the Americans is complete without some exposure to the long American prehistory before North American natives learned how to write stuff down and the tremendous impact of the triangular trade in plantation crops, manufactured goods, and human beings unleashed by the Spanish and Portuguese and enthusiastically adopted by the English and other Northern Europeans. 
So that basically led me to redefine the notional boundary of the podcast to the history of the people who occupy today's United States, starting before Europeans arrived. That has led me to my own decisions about inclusion and exclusion, some of which I talked about as I went along. I ended up doing a series on Columbus's first voyage, even though he never made it to today's United States, touched Puerto Rico on the second voyage, but still, because everything else depends on Columbus having happened. If Columbus had not made that trip, or if the Nina and the Pinta had been lost on the return voyage, which very nearly happened, the entire history of our hemisphere would be wildly different. Yes, there would have been a lasting contact between the Eastern and Western hemispheres eventually. But there is no reason to think it was inevitable that it would have been the Europeans in the lead. Imagine how different the world would be today if it had been the Arabs or the Chinese who had first settled the Western Hemisphere. So I needed to start with Columbus. I'm really glad I did. His story was far more interesting than I had known. And I hope I captured some of that in the episodes devoted to the Admiral of the Ocean Sea. In a similar vein, we have talked about other matters outside of the borders of the United States, but only insofar as they have a meaningful influence, as I see it, on what happened here. This line drawing is obviously very debatable. There's a whole trend in studying the history of the Atlantic world, the idea being that the histories of all the peoples who lived on the shores of the Atlantic became bound up with each other even before 1492, and much more decisively thereafter. This is a very interesting area for scholarship, and I will draw upon some reading from it as I go along. Indeed, it is certainly possible to talk about the influences of Western African cultures on today's United States, and it is both fashionable and, I would argue, important to do. Since I spend a fair amount of time in New Orleans, and African influences are especially important to the history of that city, I will no doubt spend some time on that topic. However, as a smarter person than me once said, history always begins in the middle of something. The deepest roots of American history also lie in ancient Greece, in medieval Ireland, and the Magna Carta. But I'm not going to spend much time on them, if any. No disrespect for the contributions of ancient Greece or medieval Ireland or the Magna Carta, but this is not a podcast of the history of the human race or even a human civilization. It is the history of the Americans, so we're inevitably going to draw some lines that will irritate some people. There's another reason why Atlantic world scholarship, while interesting and important, is no substitute for any national history. As historian... Ian Steele remarked, No one ever lived, prayed, or died for the Atlantic world. We can learn a great deal from the Atlantic world construct, but in the end, it cannot serve at least one of the purposes of American history, which is to bind our country together. We already talked about the failed colony of San Miguel de Gualdape on the border of South Carolina and Georgia, and its many dubious firsts including the first enslaved black people on American soil and, quite appropriately, the first slave revolt, all the way back in 1524. I expect to dig into early Hawaiian history, a topic I know nothing about, and the Russian exploration of Alaska. 
the Swedes and the Dutch will show up relatively soon. And when I get to the early 18th century, some 160 years from our current position on the timeline, I will have boned up on the great expulsion of the Acadians to Louisiana and all the tragedy and awesome food and music that came of it. All of this fumbling around led me to an idea that I'm quite taken with. Vast early America, which does have potential as a national history. This being the social media era, a professor of history at William & Mary named Karen Wolfe, K-A-R-I-N-W-U-L-F-F for search engine purposes, coined the term and assigned it a hashtag. You can search hashtag vast early America on Twitter and such. With a few points of disagreement, which I may or may not dig into in a future episode, my interpretation of the boundary for this podcast lines up nicely with those three simple words. Professor Wolf wrote an article for Humanities, which is the house organ of the National Endowment for the Humanities, a couple of years ago that describes the idea in some detail. I'll put a link in the show notes, but I want to read the first few paragraphs because they line up so well with how I think of things. American history courses usually begin with the peopling of the Americas, then move on to European colonization and the crisis of the British colonies. Tethered to the East Coast, historical attention turns west again as the United States expands its territorial claims in the 19th century. But a more expansive view of early America, what I and other scholars have taken to calling vast early America, would help us better understand the colonial and early national periods as well as the full sweep of American history. To appreciate vast early America, let's pick a year in the mid-18th century and an event that's become more familiar thanks to the musical Hamilton. In 1757, Alexander Hamilton was born on the Caribbean leeward island of Nevis, where he would get his start as a clerk in a trading company. Just 36 square miles in area, tiny Nevis had become an engine of extraordinary wealth for the British Empire through sugar production and enslaved labor. Also in 1757, Franciscan priests, in alliance with Apaches, established the mission Santa Cruz to San Saba in central Texas. Within months, Comanches and their allies attacked and destroyed it. In 1757, a hand-drawn map of the missions in Baja, California was published in Madrid, illustrating the ongoing importance of the Pacific coast to Spanish ambitions and suggesting the impact of missions on its native population. By 1757, the Quapaws had long and deftly controlled territory in the Arkansas River Valley. In 1757, the commander of French forces in North America ordered an attack on the British Fort William Henry at Lake George, between British-claimed New York and French-claimed Canada. In 1757, John Saunders ran from slavery in Prince William County in northern Virginia. Only 22 years old, he had a pronounced stoop, probably owing to the iron collar fixed around his neck. From Nevis to Texas to California to Arkansas to New York to Virginia, with a stunning diversity of people and circumstances, this is vast early America. Readers may know 
one or more of these histories, but how these and innumerable other moments from across the extensive early American geography and chronology connect and fit into a collective narrative has been less certain. In traditional tellings, only Hamilton had a secure place in that story, mostly from his later years, alongside George Washington as his aide-de-camp and treasury secretary, as an author of the Federalist Papers, and finally, as a tragic duelist. Of all those 1757 moments, the least precise concerns the history of the Quapaws. The Quapaws' durable political and social traditions made them adept at managing alliances, conflict and trade with other native groups, and with Europeans, especially the French. Yet the gaps in exact dating remind us that days, seasons, and years of crucial historical developments among the Quapaws usually took place out of sight of European-style record-keeping. Still, the Quapaws, along with the Apaches, Comanches, Spanish Franciscans, French soldiers, European officials, and enslaved Africans, helped make up early America. New American histories are offering an expansive view of the coming together of these dynamic, multilingual, globally connected, and often violent societies. The aim is to produce a deeper understanding of the daily lives of those who found and made meaning within these societies and of the powerful connections among them. Expanding the geography of early America lets us see a fuller North American story that incorporates an Atlantic and, especially, Caribbean context. Expanding the conceptual framework of what constitutes a pre- and early history of the American nation and analyzing new archival materials and methods, we can begin to appreciate a vital, vast early America that remains foundational, but is also more particular and more complex. So that's Karen Wolf. Now it is certainly possible to get carried away with this idea. In her enthusiasm, Professor Wolf says, and I quote, there is no understanding early Virginia without also understanding early New Mexico and vice versa. That seems too emphatic to me. There is a difference between something being interesting, and as devoted listeners know, I find many things very interesting, and it being consequential. Unless one expands the definition of consequential to mean the butterfly effect, I think you can get to a fairly nuanced understanding of early Virginia without knowing too much about early New Mexico. But I'll keep an open mind, and in any case, perhaps I'm just quibbling. To a great degree, the journey of history is in deciding for oneself what is and is not consequential. For my part, I hope that this podcast will motivate listeners to do some of their own reading and form their own opinions on consequences. I'm going to do my best to avoid drawing lines between history and its consequences, because I believe that voyage of discovery belongs to each of you. It is in this respect that I most emphatically disagree with historians who insist on specific connections between the past and today's politics. They are depriving their readers, listeners, and students of the joy of forming their own conclusions. However, because the milk of intellectual honesty flows through my veins, I need to confess some small inconsistency. I believe that our history has dignity. In that first introductory podcast episode, I said this, quote, I believe there is dignity in our national story. 
along with tragedy, triumph, brilliance, hypocrisy, magnificence, depravity, corruption, venality, genius, defeat, and glory. I believe all of that very much, and the history of the Americans contains all of that. I do not agree with either those on the left who would degrade our history as the depraved foundation of a permanently wicked society, or those on the right who object to essentially any criticism of it. Both visions of our history are a version of weaponization for contemporary political purposes. There are many reasons to oppose the weaponization of history. The most important is that it impedes understanding. If you search the history of the Americans for evidence to support your partisan priors, you will find it. And you will also do nothing more than reinforce your own prejudices. The second most important reason to avoid the weaponization of history is that it hurts our country. Americans, unlike all old world civilizations, have no deeper roots than our own national story. Not being bound by language or ethnicity or deep ties to particular land or an ancient monarchy, more than most countries, we need a dignified history that's agreed upon, at least in its main features, in order to have a nation at all. Those ugly parts, and some of them are very ugly, and we will not shrink from them on this podcast, do not change the fact that there are few countries anywhere in the world that have a history more worthy of pride than the Americans. Weaponizing history destroys the dignity in our history that we need to be a nation. Finally, I suspect that the weaponization of history has eroded interest in history. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, the percentage of undergraduates majoring in history has declined by 75% or so since I was in college in the early 80s. There's no doubt many reasons for that, including rising careerism and the soaring cost of higher education that needs somehow to be paid for. I cannot help but think, though, that declining interest in history stems in part from the new idea that history is all just so much political argument reflecting the contemporary power dynamic. Who needs history when there are so many hot takes on Twitter every day? Well, we all do in no small part because history boosts our immune system against the pathology in all those hot takes. Parents, that is reason enough to encourage your kids to love history. I'm actually optimistic. There are academic and popular historians doing very important work who also pursue the telling of our national story with as much intellectual honesty as they can muster. I'd love for this podcast to become big enough and credible enough that some of them will come on as guests. I'll have to figure out how to do interviews and all that stuff in my do-it-oneself mode, but that would still be cool. Even if I don't have guests soon, I hope you keep listening. This should be great. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I tell you. You ain't heard nothing and please do what you can to spread the word. You are all influencers in your own circle of friends. Thank you again for listening. And for those of you who are on pins and needles waiting for the beginning of English America, never fear, it's coming soon. We have to kill a few French people first. But by the standards of this podcast, the lost colony of Roanoke is just around the corner.
I'm looking to all of you for helpful input. Please send me an email at thehistoryoftheamericans at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook at the History of the Americans podcast page or go to the website, scruffy as it is, and find the button that lets you subscribe by email. Finally, as a special treat, we'll conclude this 25th episode by playing the entire musical theme for the podcast, which is Yankee Doodle, rendered by the United States Navy Band. Enjoy. Enjoy.